We sang. It's a show. <laughs> Should get like Spence to make us a song. Oh my god. The doing baseball <laughs> be sick. every day. The doing baseball in every way. <laughs> no, no, you're not writing the song. No, no, I'm not. Okay. Re- Welcome back to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's, and we're doing baseball. We're bringing you some baseball history. Yes, we are a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the uh, story receiver has no idea what the storyteller is about to tell them. And that's me, this week. You are the receiver. I am the receiver. You are... All right. Yeah, last week I told you about uh, Clarence Blethen, who was the only man to uh, take a bite out of his own ass in a baseball game. That was... Uh, it was a slow burn. It we was got there. spectacular. <laughs> yes. You kind of stole the climax from me. But, <laughs> I did. Uh, anyway. I did. But a great, great story. Uh, a lot of throwbacks uh, in that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is full of throwbacks. Yeah, you alluded to that. That was kind of your hint for the week. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Uh, on Instagram at do dot baseball, give us a review, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to us to this on your device. Yes, and of course, computer. thanks for listening. Thank you, thank you. So you're ready to tell me the story? Yeah. So there's a lot of throwbacks. Honestly, we're gonna jump all over the place, and some of them are old stories, like like single digit Sean Ned's dude baseball episodes. Really? I'm trying and, to think what uh, those are, so I'm guessing that this era, it's going to be an older story then. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, so once again, I was I didn't have a lot of time, so I was in a hurry, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure. I thought, okay, well, I'll do this, and who knows, maybe we can stretch it into a half hour, but if not, we'll do an extra innings. I'm coaching, I'm, I'm you know, back out working a lot. Anyway, so I just wanted to do something quick. And it ended up being like 3,500 words. Well, that's, and a, just that's a fair amount. An absolute, just, I'm a, I looked at this person's Wikipedia and I was like, it's two paragraphs long. Mm-hmm. How is there so How much? How did you stretch this, this into 3,500 words, yeah, John? Exactly. So, um, I'm interested to hear now. Yeah. Not that I wasn't before, but. So, Samuel Clifford Carroll was born October 15th, 1859. Samuel Clifford Carroll. Yeah. Okay. So, he's born in Claygrove, Iowa to John M. and L. Mary Carroll. Uh, He had three older brothers and a twin sister. Three older brothers and a twin sister. Okay. Yeah. But we join him at the age of eight. As the Carroll family moves 500 miles away to Bloomington, Illinois. The Carroll family ran a grocery store on the north end of the downtown. And from the sounds of it, they lived a very middle-class lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Cliff learned the new game of baseball on the sandlots of Bloomington as he grew up, and he was good. He was right-handed, switch hitter, 
who was a speedster on the bases and in the outfield. He also played some infield and catcher. You know, he's a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's a speedster. <laughs> There's also some stuff about his family that was kind of sad, too. Like I didn't even include him. <laughs> At some point, his dad goes blind on Christmas. <laughs> on Christmas? Yeah, yeah. This is this is around is this time. Is there a Saturday to go blind on? Maybe yeah. your birthday, but yeah, no, probably Christmas. Yeah, but either way, so by the age of 17 uh, in 1877, uh, Cliff became a member of of Bloomington Semi-Pro Club, the Nine. Do okay. you remember who else played for the Nine? Uh, no, but... Charles Radburn. Oh, Charles Radburn was on the Bloomington Nine? He was. Okay. So, uh... What year was this about then? You said he was 1877. born in... 1877. 18... Oh, 1877. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Cliff's older brother John was on the team, and Charles Radburn and his brother were also on the mm-hmm. team. Uh, so Charles Radburn, also his family moved to Bloomington, Illinois when he was, you know, eight or nine, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, you want a major league baseball player, folks. Go to Bloomington? Yeah. But don't, they can't be born there. (laughs) Okay, yeah. You gotta go You gotta look for the ones that moved there when they were eight or nine. Exactly. And they they have to have a brother. Absolutely. Whose brothers are Who's slightly less skilled. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, but we'll also fight, help you fight in a bar. Pretty sure that happened. That was I, Charles the Radburn, right? Yeah. I think, yes. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Radburn was uh, five years older than Carol, mm-hmm. uh, but the two were destined to live parallel lives. Haas on the mound and Cliff in the field. From the sounds of it, they became very, very good friends. Okay. So. He's friends with old Haas Radburn. All right. Carol and Radburn joined the Peoria, Peoria Red Stockings in 1878, uh, and after that, the two went their own ways. Now, in the articles uh, I read about Cliff Carroll, uh, so there was a few different iterations of what happened, but there was one I kind of trusted more than all the others. Okay. Um, Elaborate. Well, I'm just saying, one had him going out to California a little bit earlier than a couple of the other ones oh, did. Okay. So I thought you were talking about like reasoning. Yeah, like, basically for this, I, I read uh, there was about four main pieces of work on Carol Plus's baseball reference page and stuff mm-hmm. that I put this together from. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just one that the timeline just worked better it made sense seemed to make sense so that's what i'm going off of here so in this time before this major league career there's a little there's some controversy over exactly what he was doing okay so either way they go to the pure red stockings and then the two go their own ways radburn signed with dubuque and carroll heading out west to play for the san francisco athletics of the california league Mm -hmm. but the two were destined to meet again okay I guess I'm assuming in the National League. Yeah, I was pausing for dramatic right, effect. Right. <laughs> and you were drinking. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> San Francisco was a good team. Uh, they won the California League, and Carroll was good. But in June 1880, Carroll was either suspended or kicked off the team for overdrawing $60 on his salary. Or overdrawing? Exactly. It doesn't make sense. 
What do you mean overdrawing? He overdrew. I guess he borrowed money from the club and wasn't able to pay it back. Okay. That's the only thing that it's makes not, sense to me. It's not like I picture him like still doesn't showing, really make sense. Like, Samuel Clifford Carroll, uh, I believe you have my pay. <laughs> just like grabbing him <laughs> yeah. and just coming back with a mustache. <laughs> 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 like, there's two of us. <laughs> I'm uh, Clifford Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where are we here? So he was suspended. He goes back home to Bloomington. Um, he got into a bit of trouble at home in Bloomington, too, uh, as the public record shows. He at uh, one point took a hose attached to a hydrant by the city's Union Depot and doused an unsuspecting bystander. Oh, that's quite mischievous. Yeah, remember he's like... 1920 at this time yeah he's just screwing around yeah he's being an idiot so uh he thought it'd be a funny prank but the bystander was reportedly of ill health and knocked to the ground and soaked with cold water so he knocked somebody who was possibly terminally ill to the ground with a fire hose so that's not good no uh he was reprimanded obviously by the police and uh in a local newspaper there was a letter uh, about the case uh, that said, though not pertinent to the case, but decidedly uncomplimentary to Miss Carroll, like talking about what people were saying yeah, about yeah, him. Yeah. So people were like, oh, that guy? Yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> yeah. His reputation was not... Uh, not good. Was not good. Not good. But you'll see, I think, he grows. Okay. You know? He grows. Okay. Um, what but, happened to the... Hold on. What happened to the person that got sprayed? Uh, they we were know. okay, but okay, they, they probably out all right. might have still died from their illness. Okay. Um, They're just I, inconvenienced by being Yeah, okay. y- it's not a good look to spray somebody <laughs> that is ill with a hose. You don't want to spray the lepers or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so unfortunately, as we will all hear, he did not learn his lesson, and the next time his antics with a hose would almost get him killed. More antics with a hose? I think you're not really focusing on the end of that sentence. He almost got killed? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, he made his way to Austin, Nevada. Uh, this is once again in this foggy timeline. Uh, he plays on a local team there, but he's also working in the silver mines or going to the silver mines to try to find some money or whatever. Uh, a year later, he would make his major league debut, though. It's unclear exactly how it happened, but in 1882, Carroll was contacted by Harry Wright, manager for the Providence Grays. The Grays had a superstar pitcher by the name mm. of Haas Rad. Yes, yes, they did. Uh, they were in need of some help in the outfield. Uh, it's unclear if Radburn had anything to do with it, mm. but you would think You would he think so. Did. He like, threw in a word for his buddy. Yeah, you would say, like, he told Wright, he was like, hey, he's a switch hitter, he runs fast, Yeah, he's a good fielder, um, and with that... He can Ke- drink. Yeah, so Carroll makes his debut uh, more than halfway through the season on August 3rd, 1882. Mm-hmm. He played outfield well. So well, in fact, that he turned a double play in his first game, and Press of Providence reported, and I quote, The new man, Carroll, was put into the right field and made the most credible showing. Okay. There we go. Very straightforward and to the point, but uh, yeah. high praise. He made a most credible showing. All right. Uh, he would only play... So, ten- a, so he made, you said he made a double play. Yeah. 
So okay, so he's yeah. you know I think he got, got a hit. Probably in his got first... a good agar- good arm or whatever. Yeah, I think he had a, a hit or an infield single or something. His first at bat, but either way, he made a double play. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got an outfield assist. The Grays unfortunately uh, fell out of first place, but Carroll had made his impression and was brought back for 1883. And I also need to emphasize at this point that you know. He is not wearing a glove, really. Yeah. Like, this is before gloves are regular. So he's a really, really good outfielder in this time, which means he can, you know, Mm -hmm. catch line drives and stuff. Great hand-eye coordination. exactly. Yeah. So he didn't contribute much, but he was really good. He didn't make an error in the field. Um, The Grays fell out, so he goes... He comes back for 1883, and he establishes himself as the everyday left fielder for the Grays. All right. Good for him. Unfortunately, he sprains his ankle. Oh, he no. only plays 58 games. But during this season uh, is what brings us to how I found out about Cliff Carroll. In 1883. 1883. Okay. So it was during that season, on June 27th, 1883... That Carol would once and for all learn his lesson about spraying people with a hose. <laughs> oh my God, why does he? Why is this such a hobby of his? That's what I'm curious about. Well, we don't know. All right, there's no explanation. We don't know. But anyway, so he Jimmy does spray Mur- someone with a hose again. All Jimmy right. Murphy was a Providence man who hung around the field constantly and always was asking players about letting him try out for the team. Okay. So this sounds... He fancies himself a good ball player. So, But it sounds like an annoying fan, right? Right, right. And you're like, oh, he's an annoying fan. He's probably Um, not that good. No, but what I kind of suspect from the newspaper articles from the time was he was not all there mentally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's a grown man that's... Right. Like, like, I, I could can, get out there and play. I could get out yeah. there and play. Yeah, and he's gotcha. a bit dim. Right. And he's like, maybe, you know, who knows what. Right. Yeah. So, so this but, is so not... they're, but they're, he's there often enough that the newspapers are writing about him. Yeah. So here's what okay. they had to say. Um, the Providence Evening Press said of him, a well-known baseball crank named Jimmy Murphy has been in the habit for some time past of frequenting the ball grounds during the hours of practice and imagining himself to be a player of extraordinary merit. Owing to his eccentricities, he was a source of great amusement to the players and was made by them the butt of many practical jokes. Oh, okay. So they're, like, making fun of this guy all the time or whatever. Jimmy, who is said to be slightly off mentally speaking, Mm. occasionally resented his treatment. Okay, so he's 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 at least there enough to like get pissed about how they're treating him. That is true. All right. Okay. Um, so yeah, the, he's well known, but he's just mm-hmm. the butt of all their jokes. So on this occasion, a group of players finally relented as they practiced before a game uh, against the Philadelphia Quakers. They invited Murphy onto the field. As he began to warm up, Carol snuck up from behind him and hosed him down with cold water. <laughs> what an asshole. Exactly. 
when it's an annoying fan and that's how i read the story at first i was yeah. like oh this guy was being a jerk and he got like hosed down with the hose but i'm mm-hmm. like no he was a mentally handicapped person <laughs> yeah, that and- you made fun of and then you sprayed him with a hose motherfuckers yeah um <laughs> okay so murphy was of course uh both enraged and embarrassed as he fled the field soaked and the gray i'm assuming they laughed right yeah <laughs> i'm assuming they laughed yeah. i didn't read any accounts of them laughing but i'm assuming no, they yeah it, the way it like is written that it's a prank and everything it, it implies that they would be laughing yeah exactly so um the grays won the game eight to four and the mean prank they pulled off early in the day was not top of mind as they left the field jimmy murphy had not forgotten though and he had returned to the field on messer street with a gun with a gun yes holy fuck <laughs> Murphy waited for the players to leave. Carol was his target. Oh, man. As a group of players left the field, Murphy spotted Carol and drew his weapon. He fired. And he missed. Yeah. The bullet whizzed by Carol and grazed short rookie shortstop Joe Mulvey. Holy fuck. In the shoulder. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... The injury was supported er, reported as inflicting a painful though not dangerous wound. Okay. So painful Mulvey, though not dangerous. Yeah. So. so he misses the bullet whizzes by Carol's ear. Yeah. Goes behind him, hits, or just grazes in Murphy. his shoulder. Yeah. Shoulder issue. Apparently, Mulvey walked home after. Okay. So it wasn't. It was. Ah, it's not too bad yeah, then. Exactly. Not exactly. a big deal. That's that's it. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy fled and was chased by Gray's second baseman, Jack Farrell. Police officers and citizens who had witnessed the shooting joined the chase, and Murphy was apprehended. The next day, Murphy Imagine was... Imagine that scene. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, guns at the field back in the day. Too many guns back exactly. in the field. Uh, <laughs> so, they catch him, and the next day, he was found, uh, Murphy, that is probably guilty in the justice court and bound over to the court of common pleas is that a sentence yeah so basically probably guilty yeah so they're just that's that's law speak for we have like 20 eyewitnesses you did it okay so we're sending you to plea court so you can plea out your case instead of having a trial which is dumb because we know what you did we i got you okay (laughs) um so while being led out of the courtroom, Murphy spotted Carol and oh, no. said, I will get even with you yet. I'll break your head if I ever get out again. Oh, Which is not a good thing to say <laughs> no. when you're going to plea court. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I would like to be out after one year so I can not... So I can break it. I mean, not, not break, break his head. Carol's head. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I don't think that's getting even. Like, you should just probably soak him with the hose if he wants to get even. But he was embarrassed, and he was off, and he know. really just wanted to be a baseball player. I know, but murder. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, luckily, so that was the story I originally wanted to tell. Right. That right. basically ends right there, and it wouldn't have been a whole episode. Yeah, we're only like it would have been a short one. Yeah. yeah. But it continues, obviously. Yeah. Well, carry on. And it has nothing to do with Murphy. Murphy does not get to break his head. Okay. 
Yeah, so that's done. All right, that's out of here. So forget about Murphy, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 1884, though, the Greys were an absolute dominant team. That's right. They On were the led by the Boss Hoss. Yeah. That's right. Boss Hoss Radburn. Yeah. He won 60 games. Yeah. Uh, Pitched Carol- like 600 innings. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Carroll's bat would show up, and he finished second on the team in both hits and runs. Nice. Carroll continued with his shenanigans, but in a much tamer manner. This garden hose this time. No, no. Watering well, can. Before one game in 1884, Gray's manager, Wright, noticed that a large number of African-American men were filling the stands. It was noticeable because the 50 cent admissions was high enough to limit the crowds to an overwhelmingly white audience. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So Wright found mm-hmm. out that Carol and a, and a white stockings player had snuck in a bunch of waiters from the fancy Narragansett Hotel in exchange for free food. The plan worked out well. Wright actually didn't mind. The waiters watched a free baseball game and the players ate well from now on whenever they stayed at that hotel. Oh, all right. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, every, so it's every, just a, everything a works bit out more in that. innocent of a prank. Can you call that a prank? I, I mean, for the know. 1880s, it is a prank for like a white dude to do that. I guess, yeah. But, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not glad. Either way, nice. We got a bunch of people into the baseball game yep. for free food. Yep. Um, Everybody so, wins, I guess, sort yep. of. So Carroll not only was evolving as a prankster, but also as a ball player. In 1884, he would do something never done before. Not really, though. We'll find out. On August 9th, 1884, Providence played their rival Boston... Bean Eaters? Uh, yeah. Uh, teammate and friend of the show, Arthur Irwin, said Carroll came up with an idea. What if, instead of swinging, he just softly tapped the ball between the fielder and the pitcher? Oh, the bunt? Carroll let off the bottom of the eighth, and with that, with what some writers contend was the first known bunt in baseball history. This caused... I would have thought it was way before then, but... This this is 1884, August 9th. So this caused the crowd to go up into hysterics as Carroll used his speed to glide through first base safely. Yeah. Uh, you said he was a speedster. Exactly. Okay. So I thought this guy so he just, just was sends famous it over there for getting between... somebody almost killed. No, but almost... now you're telling me he invented the bunt? Exactly. That's crazy. So but... he just sent it over there between the pitcher and the third baseman. Yeah. And, and then would just bolt to first base, exactly. and that blew everyone's minds. And baseball's so popular at this point. Right. Like, it it's, got it's, around. Word got yeah. around. So the bunt was seen as a stunt and did not sit well with the toxic masculine culture of the 1880s. Right. Everything. The whole game was about being manly. Yeah. One reporter wrote, A vigorous striking out is preferable to a baby blow from the bat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, man. So, I'd rather uh, have my guy be out. Dude. But think about it. That's 1884 that somebody wrote that. We still have... We still have debates like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 A vigorous strikeout is much better than Giancarlo Stanton (laughs) baby blowing the... (laughs) Blowing a baby... I mean, blow... Carol... Uh, okay, I got to that. Also, we mentioned Arthur Irwin, friend of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was... So now gloves are in play. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. A little bit. 
it's still evolving. Some play, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, because some, yeah, that's true. Some players didn't rock it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some people saw it as like insulting and underhanded, uh, breaking the gen- unwritten rule of the games once mm-hmm. again. Once again. Yeah. So originally reported in the Boston papers as a punt. Eventually. A punt. Okay. Yeah, eventually, it was changed to be known as a bunt. Because it's with a bat. Yeah. I'm just, I'm making that up. But you, you're correct in your assessment. So, this is from the Sabre bio by Alan Cohen. Uh, and he writes, uh, actually, the bunt had been part of the game since the 1860s and into the early years of the National Association, with Diggy Pierce and Tommy Barlow credited for his for its invention. However, the bunt had not been utilized for a decade when Carol and Irwin brought it back into the game. Mm. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So Carol, basically, Barlow and Pierce do it back in the 1860s before we had the record keeping right, and all right. that of the, you know, National League. Right. Um, so yeah, basically, Irwin and Cliff Carroll. We're the we're the fathers of the modern bunt. Okay, eat it up. And and Tom Barlow was their influence. Is that what you're saying? He wasn't their influence. I'm just oh. saying the, in in the saber bio of mm-hmm. Clifford, Cliff Carroll, that it is not true that he really invented the bunt. Oh, okay. Even though okay, it was just the first modern recorded bunt in history, right. and it caused such an uproar that it got. Yeah. Written about it so, or whatever. Yeah, they had done it in the 1860s, mm-hmm. but for all of the 70s, it seemed that nobody bunted. Right, And it right. was all masculine, like, you're going to try to hit the ball as hard as you can and whatever. And then he did this, and people were just like, what the fuck? Right, so, right. Yeah. The Greys were dominant, um, and Haas, Carroll, Irwin, and veteran Paul Hines were leading the way. The team went 84, 28, and 2. Oh, uh, fuck. Winning the pennant. Uh, Providence played the American Association's New York Metropolitans in an early version of the version of the World Series. The Grays swept the series, dominating the Metropolitans. Uh, the Grays scored 21 runs, and New York scored three. Carroll only <laughs> got one hit uh, in the three games, but he did score a couple times. Uh, his hometown friend, though... Radburn uh, pitched all 22 innings. Of I was going to say, I yeah. thought he pitched all three games. Yeah. yeah, and he gave up three runs, none of which were earned. You're right, right. So just dominant World Series. Just coast to coast the whole season. Yeah. He really wanted out of town. Like, that's why he wanted, he because he basically was like, I'll pitch, I'll save your ass for the end of the year if you let me out of my contract, right? Yeah, because so. the other player had left. Anyways, right. back to Carroll. So the Grays uh, and Carroll could not replicate that success in 1885, and the Providence team folded after that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carroll was one of four ex-Grays assigned to the Washington Nationals. Uh, he wanted to sign with Pittsburgh, but NL president Nick Young said it was Washington or no team at all. Mm, Uncle Nick yeah. forced him. Oh, fuck, eh? Okay. So Carol begrudgingly went to the Nationals, uh, who were a brand new franchise and were fucking just terrible. Just dismal. So end of August, they had won 15 games. Oh, my God. No wonder he didn't want to go there. Um, in 1886, they went 28 
92 and 5. Oh, they finished oof. dead last, uh, laughable 60 Dude, games back. That's brutal. Yeah. Carroll was not happy in Washington. His play on the field continued to be good, but he was a glove first outfielder. He had gotten into the saloon business and it was accused of being distracted by the business and enjoying alcohol a little bit too much. Oh, okay. Uh, probably influenced by his buddy because yeah. he was in the saloon business too. Exactly. So he got into a dispute with the team's management over the use of amateur pitchers and was fined 100 bucks. So the team was just terrible and he was like, fuck you guys, you're using a bunch of shitty amateur oh, pitchers because... Right. They couldn't find a real good major league pitcher. They're a new franchise, mm-hmm. and they find him a hundred bucks, which For is a lot crit- of money yeah, at that no time. Kidding. For being critical, yeah. So Carroll was incensed. He refused to sign a contract in eighteen eighty seven unless the find was rescinded. Well, what's uh, that going to do? They're just going to be like, well, well he's just don't being play a, it then. Yeah, exactly. He's being yeah. a bit of a dick. Yeah, and they're being a bit of a dick. Uh, oh no, I'm not saying he doesn't have a point. I'm just saying like, fuck. I've, feel for him he's in an era where like he really has no leverage to like go against the team anyway no exactly um so he refused to sign a contract uh unless it was he got his money back essentially yeah it was uh <laughs> yeah it was not and he had to go yeah so they they basically said yeah we'll give you the money back just sign the contract yeah and they didn't give him the money <laughs> oh fuck so course, they give him a check and they, they cancel do. the check. Right. Uh, and then he had to go all the way up to the National League office to be like, this was yeah, in our to report this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. owe me 100 bucks. Right. And I think eventually he got his money back, but obviously... It was just such a pain in the ass yeah. to do all that, especially back then. Exactly. Um, so he was losing his passion for the game, uh, and the alcohol was definitely not helping at this point. Playing a role, yes. After the 1887 season... Uh, which was his worst since his rookie year. He was released from Washington. Uh, the team poured vinegar on the wound, saying, For lack of care of himself, he became almost valueless to the club, and he was released. Oh, okay. So. That's pretty. It sounds like it was something pretty typical back then. They'd yeah. just be like, ah, he's not playing good. Well, he's Outta not here. taking care of himself. Yeah, and yeah. So people are a little bit wary of him at this point. Uh, he does have a brief stop uh in 1888 with the Pittsburgh Alleghenies, but was released after a month. Uh, He just played five games and was hitless in all of the games. He finished the season with the Buffalo Bisons in the International Association. After that, Carroll retired, at least the first time. Uh, He went home. (laughs) Uh, In 1889, he went home and he married uh, Addie West of Bloomington and worked on a farm. Or his farm. I'm not sure if it was his farm or he just worked on a farm. He's a farmhand. He's a a farmer. Okay. Um, It wasn't until 1890 that his old pal Haas came calling. Again. The Players League was forming. Oh, fucking right. Here we go. Talking up his old pal by sending telegrams to all the new team's management saying Carroll was in great shape and wanting to play. So I'm not entirely sure if if Carroll had asked him to do this or if Haas was just like, my friend, (laughs) you you must be salooning and baseballing with me, my friend. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah. So I think Haas had someone do that for him at one point. Anyway. Yes. So Carroll ends up getting a few offers, and he ends up actually not in the Players League, but taking Cap Anson's deal and heading back to the National League with the Chicago White Stockings, okay. who are actually now going to be called the Chicago Colts. 
Okay. So that's the era of baseball we're right, in right, right now. Right. Um, so Cap Anson uh, said to the press, because remember, at this point, Carol has a reputation. Uh, mm-hmm. I was. Cap Anson says, I always liked his ball playing. If I didn't think well of him, I wouldn't have signed him. The only thing that was ever against him was his habits. He played great ball for Pro- for the Providence team. When he went to Washington, he opened a saloon there. He has now ha- had a year farming, is married, and apparently steadied down and looks strong and bright. I think he will play just as soon... I, I think he will play just as soon ball as he ever did. Just <laughs> okay. as soon just ball. Just as soon as, ball. I don't know if that's a mistake on my part or right. Cap I, I get what Cap's trying to say exactly. there. He's saying... He's saying, well, he was always a good player, but the problem was that when he was in Washington, he was sad, and then he got a bar started, and he drank too much at the bar. He found a woman in a yeah. farm, and now, and now he's, he's good. settled down, so now it's now he's fixed. So. Well, and at the same point, saying he's been working on a farm for a year—that's a positive right. thing to say, physically at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Anson was correct yeah, in his assessment of Carroll, and in fact, the next two seasons in Chicago would be the best of Cliff Carroll's career. Nice. He put up a positive OPS plus numbers for the first time since the magical 1884 season mm-hmm. in Providence. Uh, the Cincinnati Commercial Gazette said, Cliff Carroll, the fleet-footed left fielder of the Chicago club, is under a pledge not to touch intoxicating liquors this season. <laughs> this was his okay. greatest falling as a failing as a ball player and caused his retirement for a time from the Diamond. But for the Brotherhood, the Players League, yeah. right? He would probably have never been given an opportunity to return to the profession. His brief retirement seemed to have done him much good as he is playing splendid ball for the Chicago's. He is one of the finest fielders in the country, a good batter, and a clever base runner. Okay. So nice. So he's getting good reviews for his play, but they're essentially saying thank God for the Players League, or, because it interrupted it, the labor, and everybody was right, looking it, for ball players. And all it the created, same. yeah, it created more openings for for baseball players. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Carroll also took one for the team more often than most players. Uh, Sporting Life reported in 1891, Cliff Carroll is winning games for Anson by letting pitch balls hit him. <laughs> Cliff is too old and tough to feel anything short of a rifle ball. <laughs> what? I don't know. So, so saying he, he'll, t- he'll get hit by a pitch to get on base. Exactly. And the reason that he can do that so well is because he's old and weathered. <laughs> That's what they're saying? Exactly. Exactly. He's almost been shot, so he's not afraid of the ball. Yeah, but at the same point, you know, he's like 31. I know. <laughs> or 30, I guess it would be. Yeah. Um, well... I don't know, just, I don't know if this, well, it sort of relates. Like, back in the day, they would, like, touch up photos of players if, like, they were, like, traded to different teams or if, like, the photo was from earlier in their days. And there's, like, one example of a player, of a, like, old drawing of a player that had been touched up. He, like, had, like, an old Father Time-style beard drawn on him. He was only, like, 32 years old or something. (laughs) It was to display that he was a veteran. That's amazing. Uh, so, where are we here? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> You're the one telling the story. So Cliff is too old and tough. Uh, we got that quote. So the Colts almost caught the bridegrooms for the National League pennant in 1890, going 22-6-1 from September 1st. 
Uh, but Oyster Burns bridegrooms were just too much Jesus. Uh, for them, and then they won the pennant. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's I was I was stretching it. There. Yeah, yeah, but so, still, yeah, there's Oyster Burns right there. Yeah. So in 1891, uh, things were looking great for the Colts heading down the stretch. They were 30 games above 500 and six and a half up on the Boston Bean Eaters. The Colts took the first two games of a mid-September series versus the Bean Eaters. But on September 15th, the Bean Eaters beat the Colts and didn't lose again till October 3rd. Holy shit. So It's quite a streak. Yeah, and that October 3rd loss was the last game of the year, and I think they had already clinched the pennant. Okay. They went 18 games in a row. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, they won 18 in a row. Chicago had held on right up until the last days of September, but went 1-5 and five in their last six games to mm-hmm. lose the pennant to Boston. Okay. So, yeah, he was in Chicago for two years, and it didn't really work out, even though they had really good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carroll left Chicago and joined Chris Von Der Ahis. Chris Von Der Ahis. Chris who, Von Der Ahis. He came up in other episodes. There's definitely going to be a doing baseball on Chris Von Der Ahis. Um, so he's the owner of the St. Louis Browns in 1892. Okay. Uh, so Carroll goes there. He performs well. He hits 273 and just over 400 at bats. He had a point, or he had a 739 OPS. Uh, good for a 119 OPS plus, the best of his whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his time in St. Louis would end abruptly, and super weird. Something else with a hose. No. <laughs> no? This time I'm it's surprised. A, this time it's a pocket. A pocket? On August 17, 1892, Carroll was manning right field when Brooklyn's Darby O'Brien smacked a single to him. As he fielded the ball, it slipped through his hands and wedged itself into the front pocket of his shirt. Oh, man. Carroll... Like the breast pocket? Yeah. Carroll... In panicked haste, tried to remove the ball, but it was stuck in there good. I guess. I why did he even have a brass pocket? Exactly. So the crowd is roaring with laughter yeah. as he's trying to pull this thing out of his pocket, the ball out of his pocket. Yeah. Um, the runner makes it all the way to third base uh, before Carroll could get it back to the infield. Mm-hmm. Unlike the crowd, Chris Von Der Ahi was not laughing. <laughs> like, what? Why? Like, imagine being upset about that. Yeah. Um, he made the manager remove Carroll from the game. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about and micromanagement. he fined him $50 for indifferent play. Find him $50? Yeah. So we all know how Cliff... Feels about fines. Yeah. Basically, a fine led to his retirement the first time. Right, right. So what do you think's gonna happen? I think he's gonna walk out over this because this seems ridiculous to me. Cliff was refi- was pissed and refused to pay the fine or play another game. The Browns suspended him, which is weird because he yeah. was told them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. So um, he sat out the rest of the season. In the off season, he was traded to the Bean Eaters. Uh, he was thirty three and heading into his final year. Carroll's number dipped uh, quite badly in Boston. He just recorded. 14 extra base hits in 438 at bats in 1893. Though he did walk an impressive 88 times, and uh, he stole a bunch of bases as well. Uh, but besides that, he was basically just defensively good, but just a hole at the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But the Bean Eaters lineup was once again just stacked. Yeah. So, yeah, they were absolutely spectacular. Uh, Carroll got his revenge against St. Louis, the Browns. Uh, nice, good. Yeah, good. on June 14th, Carroll made a spectacular run and catch into the left field corner and followed it up uh, with a go ahead triple against mm, St. Nice. Louis. Uh, Boston won the pennant, finishing 43 games above 500. Mm, that's pretty good, I'd say. Yeah, there's no like World Series thing. No, no, you just like um, win your pennant. Yeah, that's it. so he goes out as a winner. Um, so after 1893, Boston released Carroll, and his career was essentially over. Carroll spent one last season in pro ball as he joined the Detroit Creams of the Western League. The is, Detroit Creams. Yeah. So this was 1894, but by July he had left the game for good, or as he put it, this time for all time. <laughs> okay. Uh, he went back to Illinois with his wife and daughter and lived a quiet life farming. In 1810, the family moved uh, to just outside Portland, Oregon. 1910? Yeah, sorry, 1910. <laughs> he went back in time. Yeah. That's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> You're rooting it. <laughs> um, so in 1910, he moves his family out to Portland, Oregon, or around there, and Carol uh, farmed fruit without mentioning a lot of his old days when he was a famous baseball player. Okay. Nearly died for spraying a fan with a hose and also was the first recorded bunt All in right. baseball history. Hmm. Uh, it is wild that it didn't come up because his hands were absolutely fucking mangled. I don't know how he was a farmer, especially a fruit farmer. Like mangled from baseball? Yeah, and I can't I find the picture. I would imagine so, yeah. I can't find the picture. Okay. But Carol's permanently misshapen fingers and swollen hands were shown in a 1911 newspaper with the caption, Famous National Leaguer carries proof of long career on diamond. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So that's I why can only I emphasize imagine. the lack of gloves here. Right. Is right. that his hands? His hand was so like deformed and big uh, that it was a glove. Yeah. That's what you're trying to tell me. Well, now. after uh, you know, fourteen years. years or yes. whatever of playing yeah. baseball. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. Cliff Carroll managed to spend his last decade in exp- in obscurity in the Pacific Northwest. Quietly planting and harvesting his 200-acre fruit, 280-acre fruit farm, year after year, Carroll died on June 12, 1923, at the age of 63 due to heart disease, and is currently well, currently <laughs> he's currently buried in Portland. Yes. If there's an earthquake, he might move. Yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, he was I'm buried in Portland. He'll yes, be he's staying in Portland. Yes. In Portland. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Um, there, there was actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the the article I mentioned, I think it was RIP Baseball or something like that. That was that was the best uh, source for this. There was a few mm-hmm. different sources, some old newspaper articles, Saber Bio, and right. a bunch of uh, a bunch of other stuff, as well as a great baseball history breakdown of of the shooting. Mm-hmm. But I thought mm-hmm. it was just going to be the shooting, and it would be yeah. like fifteen minutes at most. But yeah. It turned, it turned out, into, turned out like, to be a whole episode. Um, and didn't know this guy was hanging out with Arthur Irwin and inventing the bunt, kind of, not really. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know really, he was but, uh, best friends with old Haas, and I didn't know a lot of things about him. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy certainly like, lived an interesting life and probably had like much more of an impact on the game than he even thought he was having at the time. Well, that's true, and, and I think he was... 
he's just one of those people that got really fed up with the system mm-hmm. itself. Just like was like, ah, I'm out of here. Yeah, I've had like, a long enough career. He was he had too much integrity for the game back then, I think. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, he was also a little dipshit that like, spray, <laughs> sprayed yeah. a sick yeah. person and. You know, yeah, uh, yeah a, a mentally a, a mentally handicapped yeah. person with with a hose possibly, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, but he, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to make excuses for him. He was, yeah. a, it's there's nuance to every story. He yeah. was a good and bad person, yeah. but uh, that's Cliff Carroll. Well, it's an interesting story, and uh, it did like touch upon a lot of uh, stories that we've told in the past, oh, and yeah. uh, uh, that's interesting. But I just want to maybe mention to you that. Maybe you don't know where you mentioned it, but you might have uh, touched upon a story that might come up in the future. Whoa. Yeah, so um, listen for that in the future, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball, and Instagram at Doing.Baseball. Give us a review. Yeah, give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Spotify. Until next time. I'm Sean. I'm Eds, and uh, we're Doing Baseball. Thanks. Okay, bye.